Well, let's see here. I think that um, Mrs. Parham, do I see Mrs. Parham anywhere? <clears throat> it's a free for all for the kids. That's all I can say. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> Boy, I was getting worried there. Man. I thought I was going to have to take care of them. There go. You guys know what you're doing. So, um, the rest of you need to be turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. And uh, all right. Well, I uh, I, th- I thought I'd bring our 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 church constitution and bylaws, and. Um, I know that's exciting, huh? Here are our bylaws. Here's our constitutions. Why don't you forward one, one slide there, Jaime? Well, in our in our this is actually our policies and procedures. And in our policies and procedures, we uh, go over everything that we hold true. We hold to what we believe about the Word of God, what we believe about. God the Father, what we believe about Jesus Christ, what we believe about the church. Here in our bylaws, we talk about how we're constituted and why we do what it is that we do. And basically, pretty much every church and or every denomination has some sort of written statement declaring this is what we believe and this is who we are. If you are Baptist, you've got the hallowed Baptist faith and message. And if you are Presbyterian, certainly the the glorious Westminster Confession of Faith. But certainly you probably, somewhere there's your Articles of Incorporation and your church constitution outlining what it is you believe. Folks, this is what we believe. But I would uh, suggest to you that quite possibly what we actually believe is not simply what is stated on a piece of paper. Roger Scranton, who is not a believer to my knowledge, uh, observed very wisely, I think, that um, he said this, God is defined in the acts of worship far more precisely than he is defined by any theology. Watch what they sing, listen to their prayers, then you will know what they believe. I thought that was really insightful. What I got here on this piece of paper is one thing, but what we do in here, that really determines what it is that we believe. And so today we come to uh, the book of Dan, in the book of Daniel, chapter 9. We're going to be looking at Daniel's prayer. And in this, we're going to see our text today actually reveals the true character of Daniel. We're going to see him as an unbelievably uh, righteous individual. We will see his true character. Now, one of the things we've been talking about in the book of Daniel is how does a person live in exile? How does a person live faithfully to God in a godless culture? So how does a person live in exile? Because remember, Daniel's in exile. He was born in Jerusalem. And where is he living? Does anybody remember? Yeah, he's living in Babylon, and Babylon certainly didn't have the same cultural norms and certainly didn't have the same religious 
convictions that Daniel um, had been raised with. And yet we see, and at this point we're going to see Daniel's rather old man and how he has lived faithfully in exile. This is unbelievably relevant to us today because Peter in the New Testament refers to the church as those or the people who belong to the church of God as those who are living in exile. And perhaps today in our um, current culture and society, we are probably more parallel to the early church than ever before because we are living more and more outside of the norms of culture. Our Christian faith is no longer the dominant um, worldview or the dominant guiding principles in how we form our laws and how we determine what is right and wrong. And so we are more and more exilic um, than ever before. Sometimes people say, I wish we were like the early church. I think we're becoming more and more like the early church because we're living in a culture that is more and more like what the early church lived in. So um, so today we're going to see Daniel. Now, um, let me just give you a quick preview um, in for where we're going to go today. This is a prayer of Daniel. And one of the, the, the nice things, at least for me, is that we take a break from some of the vivid imagery and metaphors and illustrations and um, some of that uh, difficult visionary prophetic teaching that comprises chapters 7 through 12 in the book of Daniel. I know you guys probably all want to get back to the monsters and the beasts and the visions and the horns and all of that stuff, but I, I'm quite ready for, for a break, and um, even though it's only been a couple of weeks, uh, we'll get back to that next week, don't worry. And uh, so we take a little bit of break from the mystery, and we're actually going to record one of Daniel's prayers. Now, we should note that this is not his only prayer. You'll recall in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel called a prayer meeting with a couple of his friends, and they got together and prayed in regards to a crisis. And of course, then we saw in Daniel chapter 6, when there was the threat of his being thrown into the lion's den for um, not worshiping the king, he just kept on doing what he did every day, and that was Daniel prayed. But this one here, we actually see the contents of his prayer, and that brings me, I know you're not like me, but so I'm just kind of odd in this way, that brings me to ask the question, why in the world is this prayer um, printed out for us, or why do we have the contents of this prayer and not the contents of the other prayers? So anyways, there's probably a lot of answers to that, and certainly one of the answers we'll talk about next week. So next week's message deals with the answer to this week's prayer. So um, this is also one of those unusual prayers in the sense that um, it's answered immediately. How many of you had prayers answered immediately, right? Yeah, once in a while. But usually you've got to wait, right? Daniel has his prayer answered immediately. We'll talk about that next week. But another reason I think, it's certainly maybe one of the more obvious reasons, and one of the, the issues we've talked about, is I think one of the reasons why this prayer is recorded is to remind Daniel and to remind you and me that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. And in fact, what Daniel's going to be praying today is so grounded in God's word, it's amazing. And in fact, not only is it grounded in God's word, it's grounded in God's word that had been spoken thousands of years earlier, depending on when you date the Exodus, but perhaps maybe even 2,000 or maybe 1,500 years earlier. Daniel is recalling what God spoke then, and he's seeing the transitory nature and the frailty of man, and he is realizing, wait a second, 
God's word that he spoke 2000 years ago is actually I am living it today. Now, this is relevant to us because about 2000 years ago, Jesus said something to the effect that I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come and get you and I'm going to receive you to where I am. That way, it's easy to start thinking, wow, should we really keep believing that it's been a long time? Daniel Prayer, 2,000, 1,500, 2,000 years later, reminds us that grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. And sometimes we wonder, you know what, am I out of touch with society? Am I out of touch with culture? Things are moving, and do I adopt new morals and new principles? And how do I, you know, isn't my faith old-fashioned? And shouldn't I maybe kind of get with the times if we're going to survive as a church? Shouldn't we try to be relevant and do all of these um, and try to be modern and try to be a little bit more inclusive or all of these things. And it reminds us then that morals and cultures and societies and kingdoms and governments come and go and grass withers and flowers fade. But God's word endures forever. And so this is a very important passage of text for us. I want to read it and then we're going to come back and take a look at it. And oh, and by the way, we're going to do some praying today. Yeah, so, all right. So Daniel's, uh, Daniel's prayer, chapter nine, verse one. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made my confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and to our fathers and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As it is this day, so to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke to against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole of heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem, as it is written in the law of Moses. All this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. 
Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity that he has brought upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all around us. Now, therefore, our, O our God, Listen to the prayer of your servant and listen to his pleas for the mercy and for your own sake, Lord. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and open, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy, O oh Lord. Hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. And this is the inspired and inerrant word of God. Well, the first thing we want to consider is this, that Daniel's prayer is driven by God's word. That's what it says right there. must be right. So God's word drives Daniel's prayer. And you're going to see this in the very first part. Look what Daniel, look what's written. In the first year, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolations, namely 70 years. So here's the thing. Daniel knows something's going to happen at the end of 70 years. And how does he know something's going to happen at the end of the 70 years? Because he was reading in Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says that your exile is going to last 70 years. And so here's what, in fact, let's go to it. Here's, here's one of the passages of text. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Now, look at this. Look Look what he says here. Go back, go back, go back. Not ready yet. So, this whole land... So. We're going to serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans. Okay, so I'm going to punish the Chaldeans. Did you notice how this chapter begins? In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a descent, he's a Mede, he's Persian. Do you recall how all that came about? This is in the first year of the Medo-Persian reign. That means Babylon has been attacked by the Persians. Babylon no longer exists as, as an empire, and the Persians now. So here's what he says. This is going to last 70 years, and at the end of 70 years, Babylon's going to fall. Daniel's living this. He's going, wait a second. Babylon's no longer around. It's been about 70 years. This whole thing's about to come to an end. The exile's about to end. Yeah, he's going, man, I'm in the first year of this Persian Empire. This is exactly what's supposed to happen. Let's go to our next verse in Jeremiah, and we'll see this. It says, 
For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem after 70 years, after the after I destroy Babylon, after the Persians come in, then I'm going to do exactly what I said I'm going to do. Let's go to Second Chronicles. This is very interesting. It says, and he took into exile. This is talking about Nebuchadnezzar, so we're going way back. And he took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons. Look at this. Until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So all of this is going on. This is how Daniel knows, hey, wait a second, things are happening. It's been about 70 years. Babylon no longer exists. Persia's in. This is exactly what God said was going to happen. And so Daniel, this is forming the very basis of Daniel's prayer. Now you should note that he says, all of this happened by the mouth of Jeremiah. Notice this, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath. All right. So the 70 years is not an, an arbitrary number. God just didn't say, let's see, how long should I have been exiled? I don't know. 80 is a little long and 50, you know, what they've done. They need more than 50 years. Huh? What should I? 70 seems like a good. God did not do that. There was a specific reason why he chose 70 years. And that was because every seventh year, the land was supposed to lie fallow. It was called the Sabbath year, okay? Just like you have a Sabbath day and you do no work, every seventh year, the land was supposed to do no work. And basically, the people of Israel did not observe those. Guess about how many years they, uh, they owed the Lord. Around 70, absolutely. And so they, they owed the land 70 years. So God says, I'm going to take you out of the land. I'm going to let the land lie... Fly fallow, it's going to rest for 70 years, and once it's rested for 70 years, I'll bring you back. I just want to, just a side note, God gets his, all right? If you owe the Lord a Sabbath, he will get his Sabbath. So we can see this. Now, I'm going to go back, and it's not, we don't have this up on the screen, but I want us to look at Leviticus 25, and you don't necessarily have to turn there, but I would highly recommend before next Sunday, read Leviticus 25 and 26, because it's extremely important regarding the background of our next passage of text that we'll cover next week. Leviticus 25 and 26 are really, really important to understand the very complex passage we'll deal with next week. But basically in chapter 25, um, I'll just read verses 3 through 7. I just explained it, but I'll just read it because, so you know what God actually says, not what I say. So, <clears throat> for six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you. I'll just stop there. So, Basically, every seven year, you plant nothing. The land lies rest. And just in case you're concerned, God says, in case you're concerned, what are you going to eat? I'll provide a double bounty the year before. So that's the word of the Lord. Now, in 
Leviticus 26, I know we all have problems with Leviticus because it is a challenging book, but it's so relevant to understanding other parts of the Bible. Now, here's the thing. In in Leviticus 26, what God says is this. Now, if you disobey my words, chapter 25 is all these, you know, do these commands and then that's what I need you to do. But if you don't, Leviticus 26, this is what I'm going to do. And you'll note that there's this progression of... um, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So you'll disobey me and I'll send a prophet and you'll ignore the prophet and then I'll send, a cur- I'll send sickness upon you and then I'll send three prophets and you'll ignore those and then I'll send death. And eventually it gets really bad. And eventually in chapter 26, this is what he says, beginning with verse 32. You'll notice how, how pertinent this is to our text. And I myself, this is God speaking, and I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be desolate and your cities shall be a waste. So I'm going to scatter you among the nations. That's exactly what Daniel's an exile. He's been scattered amongst the nations. Verse 34. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbath. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. The rest that it did not have on your Sabbath when you were dwelling in it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their heart in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight and they shall flee as one flees the sword and they shall fall. Um, When none pursues, they shall stumble over one another as if to escape the sword, though no one pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies, and you shall perish among the nations, and the land of the enemy shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity, and also because of the iniquities of their fathers. They shall shall rot away with them. But... Verse 40, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and the treachery they committed against me and also by walking contrary to me so that I walk contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humble and they make their amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land, but the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them and they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them for I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Folks, Daniel's is a prayer of repentance. Do you want to know, do you, did you read why it is? He says, so when you're in bondage, when you're in captivity, here's the remedy. I'm going to humble your heart and when you repent, I'm going to restore you. So, so you can see now, this is all of our background and all of this is to help us to understand that Daniel's prayer is motivated by God's word. Daniel understands the times. Why does Daniel understand the times? Because he's a man of God's word. We should also note very quickly, I think this is important, but I'm not going to spend much time on it. 
some other day when we study Daniel. But Daniel talks about um, that the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. Daniel understands that Jeremiah is inspired scripture. He understands that it is the word of the Lord. Daniel didn't live that much far past the time of Jeremiah. They were somewhat contemporaries. So even in that short period of time, this isn't some legend that developed. In that short period of time, Daniel came to recognize Jeremiah is the prophet of God. This is the word of God. All right. So Daniel is a man of God's word and he uses God's word to help him understand the times and to enable him to act in accordance with God's purpose. So Daniel is... Um, so God's word is the is driving is going to drive Daniel's prayer. Now, we should as we continue on, we'll see that God's word is foundational to prayer. God's word is foundational to prayer. In fact, God's word should motivate prayer. All right. In other words, God had promised something, and Daniel saw that man. I'm living in those times, and so. The promises of God excited Daniel to pray. The certainty of God's promises prompted Daniel to pray. Now, somebody might say, gee, if I was Daniel and I saw God's promise and I know God's promises are always going to happen, I can just sit back and relax and let it all happen. All right? That has nothing to do with God's word. Daniel probably could have sat back and said, well, promises are going to happen. He spoke about it, and so I'm just going to... Spe-. No. The promises of God excited Daniel to pray. You sometimes hear people, I'll just let the cat out of the bag, but I am... <clears throat> I believe that... I believe in God's electing purposes in salvation, and I am one of these crazy people who actually believes that God's electing purposes are unconditional. That is, that um, he calls people to his own, not based on any foreseen good deeds or good works, that he calls people because of his unconditionally. There is no standard that one must meet before God calls them. So here's the, the one answer that people give. Well, then, if that's what you believe, then you don't even really need to witness to anybody because God's going to call who God calls. That has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible. Nothing. And if anybody ever, if you hold to the right belief like I do, <laughs> then when somebody gives you that lame excuse Refer back to him. That is absolutely nowhere in Scripture. You are utterly, at least I'm being biblical. I mean, you may not believe in my interpretation, but at least I'm holding to something in Scripture which you're suggesting is nowhere in Scripture. And here's a perfect example. Daniel, read God's word that in 70 years I'm going to overthrow Babylon, I'm going to bring Persia in, then I'm going to let everybody go. That's what I'm going to do. But here's the thing. God uses means. And one of the means that God uses to bring about his already revealed purposes is that his people gather together and pray. So prayer is excited by God's word. We see his promises, so we get together and we pray that God will do what God said he was going to do. All right. So that's the first one. So this anticipation of what God is going to do leads Daniel to worship. The second thing we should note, then, is that God's word forms prayer. 
Scripture informs us how we ought to pray. So God's Word forms prayer. So as God's Word <clears throat> captures our, our heart, we pray in conformity with God's heart. For instance, if you read, when you read Daniel's prayer, you will not only see some of the direct relationships to, uh, um, to God's Word, but there are many allusions to God's Word in Daniel's prayer. Leviticus 26.40, Deuteronomy 28.64, Exodus 34.6, Psalm 44.14, Jeremiah 24.11. And the interesting thing is when Daniel prays, Scripture just rolls off his tongue. He's just bringing up Scripture. He's praying, and Scripture rolls off his tongue. The only way Scripture can roll off his tongue is that the Scripture is infused into his heart first. So the way he speaks, he speaks in accordance with God's purposes and plans. He just breathes God's word, God's word because he's already got God's word dwelling in his heart. And when it's already in his heart and in his soul, it just naturally comes out in what he says. Daniel's a pretty amazing guy. So scripture rolls off his tongue because it's first imprinted upon his heart. And so Daniel prays God's word. He uses God's word to form his prayers. So I get people saying, well, I don't know how to pray. It's like, man, what'd you read today in the Bible? Just pray that. I'll give you some examples here in just a little bit because we are going to pray this. Look, fervent prayer is biblical prayer. Look what Jesus, this is Jesus. He should know something about prayer. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. We like this, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you and my words are abiding in you, they're going to flow out of your prayer and you are going to pray my promises and you're going to pray my word and I will bring about everything that I promise. Daniel's prayer is going to be answered. In fact, Daniel's going to be, prayer is going to be answered in a way that is far beyond anything Daniel could even imagine. All right? So Daniel's going to pray, release us from exile. God's going to respond, and I'm getting into next week. God's going to respond, I'm going to free you from your sins. The very thing that brought you into exile, all right? I'm not just going to send you back so that you can get back in the same boat. I'm going to send you back and then I'm going to create a new heart in you and I'm going to deliver you from your sins that brought you into exile. Daniel had no idea about that. So when we pray God's word, he's going to do certainly what he said, but don't be surprised if God surpasses what you think or imagine that he is going to do. So fill your mind with God's word and then pray God's word. So how about this? Let's pray. And we're going to pray God's word. This will be a prayer of adoration as we come before our gracious Father. Let's bow and pray. When I'm done, by the way, I want to give you guys an opportunity to uh, speak if you want, uh, either verbally or in your hearts. Just speak some words of adoration to God. But I will, uh, here we go. Let's pray. I will exalt you, my God and King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works. Men shall speak of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. I will express the memory of your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his work. O Lord, our Lord, 
How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Lord Jesus, you are the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wonderful things, and blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And now, Father, we are thankful for all the things that you have done. Grant us favor and grace for Christ's sake. Amen. All right, so Daniel first begins by he prays God's word. Well, and that's what we did. By the way, the prayer that I prayed and the prayer that David prayed, I didn't ask him to do that. But they were straight from Scripture. You can just take Scripture and pray it. You ever wonder what to pray? Go to God's word. Think about what you read that day. Just make it a prayer. Well, the next thing we should note in, in this chapter is that prayer understands the relationship between God and man. That prayer understands the relationship between God and man. And I'm going to bring up two points. The first part is this prayer of confession that David, that Daniel uses. And what we're talking about here is that when we talk about the prayer of confession, we are recognizing human responsibility for our predicament. It's all my fault, basically, is what we're saying. In other words, when Daniel prays and he's praying in the exile, he's saying the exile is the result of our sin. We are the ones who are at fault. We are the ones who have committed these acts. And you'll see this in verses five and six and chapter or verse seven and, and uh, verse eight and verse 13. See, God's word, Daniel goes on and says God's word was was clear and faithfully communicated. You sent people, you sent teachers, you sent prophets, you communicated your word to our forefathers by, by your prophets. You communicated clearly and we ignored you. It was utterly our doing that brought about this undesirable effect. Here's the other thing. Um, so, the next thing Daniel does is, do you notice how Daniel refers to sin in this? Um, just, you might want to go through it at some point. And, and Daniel calls these things, um, oh, let me see if I can find some, but um, he, he calls them rebellion. He calls it sin. He calls us um, turning aside from God's law. He, he talks about it being a reproach. He talks about all of these things. And, I think it's important when we come to a place of confession of our sin that we call it sin or we call it, uh, you know, an abomination or we call, because we're so, 
we like to minimize our what it really is. So we might call it, well, God, I kind of oopsed again. No, you didn't kind of oops. You despised God's name. Or let me say this uh, a little bit differently. I didn't just oops. I despised God's name. All right. I trespassed again. I stepped over the line. He calls it what it is. See, when we, I think when we don't use the graphic terms that scripture uses, we tend to minimize because it makes us, because let's face it, saying I've sinned is a difficult thing, right? We're kind of like for all you old, all us old folks out there, right? When Fonzie tried to say I'm sorry, right? You remember that? It's hard to say I'm sorry, even to God. The other thing about Daniel's confession is this. There's no blame shifting. It's not the fault of godless Babylon. It's us. See, human nature deflects, tries to deflect responsibility. And of course, we see that way back in the garden, right? Eve played, Eve played in the serpent and Adam played, blamed Eve and God. Notice the serpent didn't blame anybody. I'm not saying that that was the right thing, but the devil's like, yeah, that's who I am. That's what I do. You know? um, of course, I'm a... Of course, I led them to sin. That's what I do. I'm the liar. I'm a father of lies. Everybody else tries to blame shift. It's somebody else's fault. But when we sin, we need to accept responsibility. Um, our sin is not society's fault. It is not our parents' fault. It is not our heritage. It is not our church. It is not our politicians. People say, I don't go to church and I don't follow Christ because there are too many hypocrites. No, the reason you don't go to church and the reason you don't repent of your sins is because you love the darkness. That's just the bottom line. That's just pure straight out of Scripture. We love the darkness and not the light. That's why we don't repent. It's not because of hypocrites in the church. It's not the church's fault. I'm not saying the church has is doing great. We need to live righteously before Christ. We need to make certain that nobody has that excuse. But the bottom line is people will find an excuse. Well, it's a, you know, these politicians, you know, they, they passed these crazy laws that allowed me, you know, I mean, if, if Colorado hadn't passed laws making it legal to smoke weed, I wouldn't have smoked weed. No, you would have done it. You just would have done it illegally or you would have done something else. Why? Because we love darkness. That's our natural human state. It's not politicians and it's not society. It's not your parents. It's not culture. It's our own specific human condition and we rebel against God. And this is an important component of prayer to say, I have sinned against you, O God. We see this in in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is interesting. David says, to you and you alone, O God, have I sinned. Really? Old dead Uriah, Uriah might have another idea about that. Right? was murdered by, da- by David. But David's realizing, to you and you alone only have I sinned. The publican in the temple said, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I'm the one who sinned. So in prayer, then, we realize that we are the creatures, that we are the offenders, that we are the clay, not God. So, Prayer of confession recognizes that um, we alone have sinned. I was teaching class last Monday night, and uh, we were teaching, I don't know what I was talking about, but I was rambling. But 
the situation came up and I asked, I asked the class, I said, so how many of you have a time of prayer of confession in your church, in your worship services? 30 people in my class, not one. Not one. And they said, do you? And I said, yeah, I'm not, I know it's probably not every week, but yeah, on a fairly regular basis, we confess sins. And they're like, well, how do you do that? Oh, I don't know, you just get up and start confessing, you know. I said, well, maybe we'll sing a song, you know, come ye sinners, poor needy, and then we'll pray or we'll read a scripture and we'll, we'll confess our sins. And they were amazed. One lady raises her hand and says, my, my in-laws are Presbyterian and they always have a prayer of confession. I'm going, well, so should we. And then I asked, I said, what happens after the prayer of confession? She says, a prayer of assurance. I said, yes, assuring us that we have been forgiven of our sins. How important is it? How can we come before a holy God and not pray that God would cleanse us and not admit our sin and not pray that God would uh, forgive us of our sins and then not confirm that God has assuredly forgiven the penitent? That's what Daniel read in God's word. He says, For, you're going to, I'm going to send you into exile. That's how bad you're going to be. But when you repent, I will remember my covenant and I will bring you back to the land. Let's pray. You were pierced for our transgressions. You were crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon you, and by your wounds we are healed. All of us, like sheep, Lord, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on you the iniquity of us all. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He relents. From sending calamity, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of yours. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Let us spend just a few moments confessing our sins before the Lord. And now, Lord, we thank you that you have said, for a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In a flood of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but I will have compassion on you with everlasting kindness. We give you praise and thanks. Amen. And so we have this prayer of confession. But prayer, that's not the only thing that Daniel is doing. He's not just confessing his sin, he's exalting God in his prayer. So if you go through Daniel and you note the attributes of God that are listed, you will be amazed. We see that he is righteous, um, particularly that in, in specifically he is righteous even in judgment. Daniel appeals to God based on God's righteousness, based on God's character. He comes to God and says, I'm not asking this because I'm a good guy. I'm asking this based on who you are. How does God, Daniel know who God is? Because Daniel has read God's word. He knows who God is. He knows his attributes. And he also recalls his mighty acts. Lord, you're the one who did these great and wondrous and miraculous things. Now, Lord, you, the God who can do those things, deliver us. And so God's name was exalted in the past. However, it is because of sin and neglect that it's been diminished. And so uh, Daniel recalls his attributes. And this is a good 
good way of praying is recall what, what has God done? Has God ever done something great in your, man, in your life? I mean, other than salvation, as though that should be enough, but probably God's done other things, great things. Think about those things and recall them. God, I've sinned, but you are the one who delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of your beloved son. You are the one who, when I was hopeless, you spoke to me in that lonely night and you comforted me when I could not do anything and you clung to me and you got me through that. You were the one who brought that person into my life when I was without hope and when I was alone. You are the one, Lord God. You are the one who got me this job when I'm not even qualified for it and yet you got me. We got all kinds of things we can, we can go to the Lord in. And so this is why prayer requires a proper understanding about God, between God and man. See, God is exalted and man can only approach God on the basis of his mercies. So with that, let's pray again. This will just be a prayer of affirmation. Feed my mind and my heart, O Lord, as we affirm these truths in regards to our great salvation. Having been justified by faith, I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom I have gained access by faith into this grace in which I stand, and I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Lord, you have said, Come to me, all you who are labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You are the light of the world. He who follows you will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You are the bread of life. He who comes to you will never hunger, and he who believes in you will never thirst. Everyone who drinks ordinary water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that you give will never thirst. Indeed, the water you give becomes in us a spring of life, welling up to eternal life. Father, we are so thankful. So many promises, so many affirmations that you've given us. These are just a few in regards to salvation. We thank you and we praise you for Christ's sake. Amen. Now with this, then, uh, we'll kind of bring this to a conclusion. Book of Daniel. How do we live in exile? Well, this certainly gives us good information of how we live in exile. How do we live in exile? We are to be filled with God's word, which will prompt us to prayer. I don't know how else you live in exile. How else can you live in this culture unless you are um, committed to God's word? See, somewhere in here, it says that we're people of prayer. But Scranton wisely said, watch what they pray, watch what they do, see how they worship, and see if they really are. Just because we put it in paper, just because we put it in some document, doesn't make us a pe- people of prayer. Being people of prayer makes us people of prayer. Being people of God's word is what makes us people of God's word, not some document. Hopefully the document reflects the reality, but it's just the reflection of the reality. It's just a codifying of what is already um, what we, what we hold to and what we live. So how do we live in exile? Living in exile demands that we faithfully pursue God's revealed word. You don't have to make up anything to find God's already revealed himself. He's revealed himself in his word. 
Is your life, is the things you're doing, are your decisions, are they grounded in what God has already spoken? So oftentimes, you want to know what is God's will? Well, God's already revealed pretty much everything in his word. And it's in God's word then that we learn of his past faithfulness. We are assured of his present superintendence and that we are guaranteed a future hope. And out of that then comes words and expressions of prayer, all of these things based on God's word. So how do we live faithfully in exile? And who is the God worth living for? I think Daniel wrote this so that we can have an answer. We see how we live in exile. We need to be prayerful. And our prayers are, are grounded in God's word. And is God worth living for? Well, he is the God that while grass is withering and flowers are fading, his word endures forever. And there is stability and there is hope in that. So let us, I guess, close this um, message with prayer. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit are with us. Now, to him who is able to establish us by the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested. And through the scriptures of the prophets, by the command of the eternal God, has been made known to all nations for obedience to the faith, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing to our, about our great God.
Amen. Well, before we uh, dismiss, I do want to remind you that tonight we're meeting at the Callahan's home. They're on the back row right now. So if you want to uh, know more about it, I'm sure Dave and Julie and Eileen would love to, uh, to tell you about it. The last one, actually the last few, really, really good. Just been really blessed. So I would highly encourage you to, uh, to make it there. We're, we're not there for very long. Just we'll be done by 7, 7, 15. And so if you've got kids to get to bed, you can do that. So I would, uh, we look forward to seeing you tonight. So with that, let's go ahead and bless one another and be dismissed. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.